How's everybody tonight? God is good. Did you enjoy the celebration service Sunday? It was a great celebration. Good to be free. Amen. You notice we didn't do it like old school. We didn't burn the, the note. Yeah, you wanted to burn. It's the days of the shredder. You were free to if you wanted to. <laughs> well, the meetings with Jim Willoughby were excellent. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And then uh, see, Monday night, there was gifts of the spirit in operation. And Tuesday night, there was laying on hands. So and good teaching on dominion and authority and why we have dominion and the proof of the word. I mean, to get beyond the theological understanding and get it into that it can get into your heart in great measures. Uh, it's just wonderful. You know, these meetings are for you guys. You know, they're, they're, they're not just for the ICFM people. Um, I've said that for years, that it's open to everybody. And, you know, the, a word of dominion for the ministers is a word of dominion for you. You know, and, um, you know, and, and talking about the greatness of God is for everybody. And it doesn't even matter. Let me just say this. It does not matter if somebody was speaking and teaching to ministers directly. Because there is no word that is for private interpretation. That means if you listen in your heart, if you listen in your heart, it'll be for you too. Always. Every word. Amen. Amen. So... But they were, they were really good meetings, so praise God. We're excited. Good timing. Yeah, for sure. And that was the first time Jim was here. He had never been here before. Never been in Punta Gorda, and we never had him at the church, so we, we may have him back again next year. We'll see. So far as the pattern we've been doing for two years with the same person. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. He's in a uh, change in ministry right now, so yeah, we'll see if he wants to come back. I have not met a person that hasn't want to come back. I do know that. Yes, I do. Well, that's true. There is always a first. I don't believe he will be one. <laughs> uh, well, here's a first. We're going to teach from the Bible tonight. <laughs> uh, well, just find your place in Revelation chapter 2. That's right, it's because we're in the end days, so at the end of the Bible. Once we get to the last chapter. Actually, if you get to the last chapter, I would wonder why you're still here. Father, we bless you, we honor you, Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise. You alone are worthy, Lord God. You're the glorious King, the mighty God, the everlasting Lord. There is none like you, holy, magnificent, and mighty. Thank you, Lord, that you are mighty to save, mighty to deliver, mighty to heal, for you have provided all of this through your substitutionary work on the, cr on the cross, and all we have to do is believe and connect with what you have already done. And that we just, through faith, pull those things into our life, out of the realm of the spirit, into the realm of the natural. And Father, we just thank you so much that your word is always, always operating. Your word always works. Your word always comes to pass. That when we work your word, your word will work. Father, I just thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that as Terry Mai says, that... When we speak the word of God, heaven moves. Oh, Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that as we come before you and sit at your feet this evening, 
that you will, by your Holy Spirit, impart revelation into our heart, that that which is in our heart will get into our soul, that which is in our soul will get into our mouth, that which gets in our mouth will get into our life, that we'll speak those things in faith, Father, that you'll watch over your word to perform it, confirm your word with signs following, that your word does not return to you void without accomplishing what it was sent out to do. So I thank you, Lord, that the more we get your word inside of us, the more we'll have you working into our life. So, Father, we just thank you that we continue to grow in your nature, grow in your word, grow in your character, and conform to the image of Jesus in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. We were talking, started talking a, a, a few uh, weeks ago about compromising. Uh, not how to compromise, but that we should not compromise. <laughs> so we're continuing on down that road because, um, you know, the more you get to the end days, the more the opportunities to compromise comes. And the more the enemy wants to push us off the path and miss out on what God has. You know, I've heard every single one of us say we all want to be a part of what God's doing in these last days. Well, to be a part of what God's doing, we've got to be on God's path. And we can't be compromising and off on the side of the road. Isn't that right? So here in Revelation chapter 2, um, in verse 18, uh, let's just read maybe 18 through 21 for tonight. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. So... Back in verse 18, he's talking to the church of Thyatira. And Thyatira is actually the least important church politically of all the seven churches. And um, Thyatira was situated between Pergamum and Sardis. It was a working town's, um, uh, a working man's town. In fact, uh, Lydia, who was one of the Apostle Paul's first converts, was from Thyatira. And uh, it was not an important city as far as the temples. Remember all the temples we talked about in Pergamum? Well, this was not an important city for any of the temples or particular gods. They did worship Apollo as the city uh, guardian. And of course, there was the required emperor worship. Okay. And uh, it was the smallest church of all the churches. It was even smaller than Philadelphia. And yet, this small church has the longest letter of them all. They did have a temple in, uh, in the city, not dedicated to a god, but it was dedicated to Sambeth, who was a female fortune teller. And she dominated the city. Remember Simon the sorcerer back in Acts chapter 8? All right, well, it was the same thing as Simon the sorcerer. So she was a, uh, a female fortune teller. She was a spiritual matriarch of the city and spiritual leader of the city. So the city was accustomed to having a woman as a spiritual leader. Amen. Now, here's a very important point that you need to remember. The devil used what they were accustomed to in order to deceive them. The devil don't need to go looking for new ways. He just looks at what you do, and he'll use that to deceive you. Amen. So for them, it was a counterfeit prophecy. Thyatira was noted for the unions, and you know about the unions. They'd get together for a meal or a festival. It was always held in a temple. And it always ended with a formal sacrifice offered to a demon god. So Christians, of course, couldn't participate in that. Or let's say they shouldn't participate in that. So they couldn't join the unions. And because of money, compromise was taught. Oh, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. You can join the union. It's okay. Just, you know, when they do that stuff, don't, just don't participate of it. 
kind of like some denominational churches that will tell you, you shouldn't go to other churches, but if you do, just don't, just don't partake of anything they do. So Christians, of course, stayed away from the unions at first, but then compromise set in, and they started getting involved in these things. Why? Number one, money. They wanted to make money or needed to make money and obviously didn't know how to believe God for their needs to be met. They had a need of being accepted by the people in the city, and they had a need of being part of something big. I need to be part of something big rather than just this small church in Thyatira. This is a small church, but I need to be part of something big. And the devil used it to create compromise. And Jesus felt that this very small church of Thyatira was important enough to include it in the seven. Because we know seven is the number of completion, perfection, and all seven churches will cover every church, any church that has ever been in existence. Amen. So he says to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this. So Jesus, when he speaks about himself, what does he call himself? The Son of God. So he's also telling us that we, just like him, we are not children of some sorcerer or some demon God, but we are children of the God Most High. Amen. He has eyes of fire because he has a blazing anger against sin in the church. He does not like sin in the church. He does not wink at it. He does not blow it off. He doesn't go, oh, it's okay. I know, you, ju you know you're just not as maybe as strong enough. No, no, he don't like any of it because there's no excuse for it, especially when you want to declare you're in him. You know, and Christians that go around and sell, and I've heard people say this through the years, well, you know, I'm only human. Oh, I didn't think you were a dog. I didn't think you were a bird. I know you're human, but that's your excuse? You're made in the image and likeness of God, born again in God. The Holy Spirit's in you. You've been given his word. You've been given grace. You've been given everything you need, the anointing of the Most High, and that's your excuse? I'm only human. Maybe if you were an AI, you'd do better. Maybe you are, and that's the problem. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying. But Jesus does not like sin in the church. He don't like sin in the world. He don't like sin at all. But in the church, he does not like it. And the eyes of fire is like a penetration or a gaze that strips away all flesh and all disguises and sees right into a person's heart. Amen. You know, he talks about how he goes to the heart of the matter. And that's seeing right past everything. You can't fool God. You know, you can have all the flowery talk. You can say all the right words. He is not fooled for a moment. He looks right past all of it and sees right into the heart. He even said that to Samuel, remember, with uh, David, when he went to anoint David and, and then all of his brothers were out there. And he'd say, Lord, surely one of these would be king. And the Lord said, God does not judge by the outward appearances, but he looks on the heart. That's what counts. Amen. He has eyes of fire. And he also has feet that are like burnished bronze. Now, burnished bronze, they're not feet of bronze. They're feet of burnished bronze, which means they're almost bronze. They're in the fire, and they're almost bronzed, which means that it's getting to the point of judgment. Bronze is always a symbol of judgment. So they're burnished bronze. They're almost bronze. If they were bronze, judgment's done. Judgment is happening. But because they're burnished bronze, they're ready to judge. And he's talking about burnished bronze. He's talking about, I have the one that has divine authority. And I don't overlook just because you're small. I'll walk in that small church just like I'll walk in a church of Ephesus. I'll walk in every one of them because they're my church. I'm the head of the church, and I come to see what's going on. Amen. You know, man 
has levels of significance. God don't. You know, man has small sin, big sin. Small prayer, oh, big prayer, you know. And then God, you know, and then man has, you know, a small church, a big church, you know. You know, things that are important, things that are just not so important. So because man has so many things that are levels of significance, man quickly and easily falls into temptation and sin. Because that's only a small thing. And we don't see sin as sin. We see it, eh, it's just a little thing. It's just a little, little thing. There's, there's no big deal. I'm sure God wouldn't mind. How many times have we said that? But, of course, we never asked him. Because we don't want to hear that he does mind. <laughs> so, because of his feet like burnished bronze, he's getting ready to bring correction. To the church. Oh, happy days. <laughs> Verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance that your deeds of late are greater than at first. I know. I know it. I've seen it for myself. I've been there. I don't need a report. I don't need to hear it from an angel. I've been there myself and I know firsthand your deeds. And your love and your faith and the service and perseverance and your deeds of late are greater than at first. So the love is where he starts because love produces the service. The faith and the fullness produces the perseverance. They had the God kind of love. And the church was ministry minded. So God, he starts off with a commendation, you know. When the Lord comes into a church for correction, not everybody's going to be under correction, but he's going to go to those first to commend those that need commendation before he goes into the correction. It's where the idea of the one-minute manager came from. You come in with the commendation, then you get to the correction, and then you come out on the other side of value. I don't know if you ever read the book of One Minute Manager. Jesus is a one minute manager. In a minute, he can change your <laughs> life and straighten you up and put you back in place. <laughs> so he says here, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and your deeds of late are greater than at first. So this church is very ministry minded. And if you're ministry minded, you have to be very very careful. Just like today, people today are so hungry for real ministry gifts. They're not hungry for playing church. They're hungry for the real move of God. Isn't that right? The problem is they'll accept anything that comes along. If they're just children and babies sucking at the bottle, they'll accept anything that shows up. And many People that have special claims and special titles, but they're not what they claim. They're clouds without water. Anybody who even smells of something supernatural, the people are just ready to receive them as the genuine. Now, we're not talking about the world. We're talking about the church. There are forgeries in the church. And if we're ministry-minded, you must have a greater sense of discernment. Amen. This is why we have never opened up our church for just anybody that wants to come in. When I first started the church, I was actually believing God for connections with somebody overseas. And I made a connection. The problem was the devil brought the connection. And we got involved with them thinking it was right and found out they were scam artists. You remember them? No? Good. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to be careful. He says, your deeds of late are greater than at first. So they not only retained what they had received at first, but they grew in grace, they grew in knowledge, and they grew in the love of Jesus Christ. And it's a rare thing in most Christian churches because they generally lose the power and rest on the form of worship. And it requires a powerful revival to bring them to a state that their last works should be greater and more than their first. 
Now compare that to the church of Ephesus that was a mega, mega church. And in the church of Ephesus, it says you've left your first love, return to the deeds you did at first. So they had backed off and they, are the, they had gone into that form of worship. But now this church is saying you didn't leave your first love. Your deeds have even grown and increased. And the works you're doing is even greater than what Ephesus is doing. Amen. Verse 20. He says, but I have this against you, <laughs> that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So now we start to find out that after the commendation, we find out is that everything is not as it seems. Something is very unhealthy in the church. Now, some people want to say the church is small because it's unhealthy. Well, then tell me about Ephesus. Tell me about the mega church of Ephesus. Tell me about the great church of Pergamum. Tell me about the wonderful church of Philadelphia. Size has nothing to do with it. Amen. But in this church, something was very healthy. Why? Not because of external persecution, but because of internal compromise. This is not about vicious wolves coming in to destroy the church. It's about perverse people that are in the church. And it's just as vicious. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean you can't have some kind of perverted person sitting in the church hearing the word and taking in the word that can bring change into their life. We're talking about somebody that's in a leadership position in the church and influencing other people. Major difference. The penetrating gaze of the Lord of the church, the head of the church. He has discerned that there's serious error and he's making a warning. I have this against you. That's the beginning of the warning. And he's pointing this admonition, especially to the leader of the church, which is the pastor. And he's telling him correction is needed. There is inward infiltration, which is the most dangerous of all persecutions. Why? Because we accept it as normal. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Because you think it's the light. Amen. Amen. Now, Jezebel, which is probably a fictitious name, it's probably not her real name, but she was a strong woman in the church. Nothing wrong with strong women. But this woman is attempting to lead a false counterfeit move of the spirit. And she taught compromise with the world. You know, I've had people tell me through the years, you're just too dogmatic. You need to back off a little bit. Well, I didn't back off, and they backed out. You know, it's kind of like dealing with the devil. You know, the unrighteous judge? I was talking to somebody last night in fellowship last night about this. Somebody's going to have to back off. You just have to decide if it's going to be you or not. Who's going to back off? Somebody's going to have to back off. Well, the devil don't seem to quit. Well, what is that reason for you to quit? If you don't quit, he will. He knows his time is short. and He's not going to waste it on somebody that's not going to back off. So Jezebel was teaching compromise with the, with the world and led the church in spiritual, in spiritual adultery. And you know where spiritual adultery winds up at? Physical adultery. Because what goes on on the inside will always work to the outside. Don't be led to compromise. Don't let the devil lead you down a road of compromise. Stay with the truth of the word of God and walk in it. And he says here, I have this against you that you tolerate. You tolerate. You permit. 
You let this happen. You let it go on. You allow it. You don't even hinder hinder her. She's in your pulpit and you don't even say anything about it. You have released her into ministry in your church and you're letting her declare all these things to, to the people of the church. And you're giving her place in the church. I have this against you. You're giving place to this Jezebel in your church. Now, he may have thought, well, I'm just being helpful. I want to be helpful to her and her gifting and all this stuff. No, you want to be helpful to her. Sit her on the chair until she changes. Why did he have such a problem with this? Because he says, I have this against you that you tolerate the woman, also known as that woman, and it can be translated your woman. It is assumed that Jezebel is the wife of the pastor. This is why she's called, this is why Jesus calls her Jezebel. Just like Jezebel in the Old Testament. Who was Jezebel married to? Ahab. Who was Ahab? The king. He's the king. She's married to the king. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) She was dominating, controlling, and leading people into sin. Now, let me give you some traits to compare the Old Testament Jezebel to the New Testament Jezebel. The Old Testament Jezebel desired to combine worship of Jehovah with Baal. So it was about compromise. Jezebel influenced her weak-willed husband Ahab. She had a matriarchal spirit. She was a manipulator and a murderer. And it tells you that in 1 Kings 21. The Old Testament Jezebel tried to discredit any real prophet, including Elijah. Talks about that in 1 Kings 19. Elijah prophesied her body would be eaten by the dogs when she died. And it got fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter 9. Well, the New Testament Jezebel in Thyatira, she came out of the occult fortune teller. She was part of that. The same way the Old Testament Jezebel came out of the worship of Baal. See, some people think, well, you know, I would never worship Baal or worship uh, any false god. But you'll play with Ouija boards. Occultic practices. Fortune telling. We almost got into big fights over fortune telling. Remember that years ago before we got saved? You don't remember? Yeah. The fortune came out one way, and I was like, no, really, no. And he's like, you know. <laughs> so, whether it's the worship of Baal, fortune telling, sorcery, occultic stuff, it's all the same. Jezebel in the New Testament was under the influence of that female fortune teller, Sam Beth. So she had a background of witchcraft. Indicates manipulation and control. You know, I've heard Christians say, well, you know, we need to pray. Uh, uh, I'm I'm believing God for my business to um, uh, really advance. So we need to believe God for that business to go out out, out of business. Well, you can't do that. Just like trying to pray against somebody's will. You can't do that. Manipulation and control. The New Testament Jezebel flourished in the spiritual community of the church, which means she probably came with phony signs and wonders. It was soul power, sorcery within the church and not the Holy Spirit power. Sorcery, listen, sorcery has mesmerizing power and captivates people. That's why Simon the sorcerer was so powerful in Acts chapter 8. Same thing here. Sam Beth, Jezebel, same thing. Sorcery. So the New Testament Jezebel, just like the Old Testament, the Old Testament Jezebel was married to King Ahab. The New Testament Jezebel is married to the pastor and they're both weak-willed and controlled 
by Jezebel and allowing Jezebel to bring sin. Sin, Jezebel brought sin upon the nation of Israel. This Jezebel brings sin upon the body of Christ. A manipulator took advantage of the pulpit and teaching false personal agendas. It's amazing how much the New Testament talks about false teachers and false prophets and all these kinds of things. Just like in the Old Testament, this Jezebel opposed any real prophet of God and now opposes the genuine move of the Holy Spirit anointing moving, and she's moving by the spirit of the Antichrist. And she's violently opposed to and filled with rage and hatred about an enemy an adversary of the real anointing. And the old, just like the Old Testament Jezebel, and there was a promise of death, there is a promise of death to this Jezebel unless she repents. Only God's making it personal. Are you with me? Verse 20. Oh, we are in 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman, that woman, your woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess and a teacher. You ever known people like that? They want to have that title. So this is what I am. You have to call me by this title. But what does God say about this Jezebel? She teaches and leads my bond servants astray. which means she seduces them. So she says she's a prophetess. God says she's a seducer of his people to lead them astray. And notice what he says. Who is she leading astray? Bond servants. Pay attention to this. Bond servants. Bond servants are bound to service by relationship. This is greater and a stronger relationship with the Lord than just a servant of God. This is a bond servant of the Lord. They know better. They know better. Now, you've got to get your eye off of any kind of physical immorality and physical adultery and thinking, well, I would never do that. That's not where it starts. That's where it ends. That's not where it starts. And if you just look at that and go, I'd never go there, you will miss all of this that leads up to it. They know better. Therefore, the word used astray or to seduce. Amen. All right. What are you doing? To be led astray or to seduce, it means to cause to wander. Figuratively, it means to mislead and cause to error. You say, well, if they're bond servants, how could they be led astray? I mean, how could this happen? Listen, no matter how close our relationship is with the Lord, it is no closer than Adam. And Adam was seduced. Eve was deceived. Now, the word deceive, it means to bring into error, be lied to in order to mislead one. So the serpent lied to Eve and misled her, so therefore she was deceived in what she did. But Adam, knowing that it was wrong, he was seduced to eat the, to eat the fruit. Are you understanding? So Eve didn't know better, but Adam did know better. He doesn't use the word deceive here. And this is why the Bible says in the last days, seducing spirits. Seduce, not deceiving, seducing spirits that's after the bond servants of God. What does it talk about over in Psalms? Blesses the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of sinners or, st or stand in the seat of, of sinners or, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. And it's always that same pattern. Walk, stand, sit. So it's kind of like you're walking by a store. You walk by 
you're in a mall and you walk by a store. You remember malls. Okay, I know you can't do this online, but <laughs> when you went to the mall, you'd walk by a store and something would catch your eye, and all of a sudden you'd stop, and you'd look, and you'd look a little more, and then you'd go in, <laughs> and then you sit down in the dressing room and try it on. Walk, stand, and sit, right? Well, it's the same thing with seduction. You're walking by, and all of a sudden the devil brings up something to seduce you. You know better, but you what? Oh, oh. Mm. Mm. And you start standing. You start looking. And then you go sit down right in the middle of it. But yet you knew better when you were walking. But you stopped. And you let it give, get your attention. And you look to see if anybody noticed, if anybody's around, or maybe if anybody's online, if they're on your social media page, or if anybody can track what you're doing. And when you think it's all clear, you step in. There's just one problem. The head of the church <laughs> is watching. And nothing gets past his gaze. That's right. He is the one in whom you will have to do. She calls herself a prophetess, but God says she's a seducer, seducing the bond servants, not deceived. They are not deceived. They are seduced. She calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So it started with the teaching. It started with the speaking. Started with the listening. Started to give themselves to it. They might have said at first, well, you know, I, I don't really agree with this stuff. Well, you know, the pastor's letting us teach this stuff. Well, you know, it's going on all over. And, you know, we want some of those people to come in, so maybe if we act like them, they'll want to come in and be a part of us. Yeah. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. This is a great example of what Pastor Tim talked about Sunday. My people perish for lack of knowledge, and why do they lack knowledge? Because they reject it. It's not that they don't know it, they reject it. And this is a great example. She's rejecting knowledge. I'm giving her time to repent. She don't want to. She's rejecting. I'm giving her time to repent. So God's dealing with her as a child of God. Space and time. Grace and mercy. By mercy, he's giving her grace. He's giving her time to repent. See, God will do that with us. He'll give us time to repent. You don't want to miss that window. You don't want that window to close. You think you've got, well, you know, bless God. We live in the dispensation of grace. Oh, it's all grace. It'll always be okay until the window closes. And when does that happen? You don't know. So I suggest you don't reject the opportunity to repent. She has said no to God, and the roots of her occult background is coming out in her teaching, and it's seducing the people. So she may have started out teaching right things, good things. Thank you, Jesus. And as she's going down this road, she starts to bring in alongside. And this is, you know, if you read through Peter and things like this, uh, uh, you'll see about the false teachers. And they bring in alongside. You know, alongside with the word, just a little bit off. Just a little bit off to seduce you. Bring you down the road that's going to wind up in open sin. It'll wind up in the act. It'll start in here. But Jesus said what? If it starts in here, you've already sinned. 
If you take those things and meditate on them, you've already sinned. Why? Because when it happens in here, it will happen out here. Nothing is just like, oh, I don't know what happened just all of a sudden. No, no, no. no. So Jesus is very upset, of course, with the teachings of Jezebel. He does not like teaching that leads bond servants astray. Amen. She was teaching license and liberty, teaching to be involved with the unions and sacrifices, demon activity. But it didn't start there. Little by little, you go down that road. Verse 22. He says, behold, behold. In other words, that word is to arrest your attention. Behold. Listen to this. Pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Unless they repent of her deeds. I will throw her. There's a word balo. Same word as diabolo. Ballo, to throw, to cast, to hurl her onto a bed or a couch of sickness. New Testament, always a bed of sickness and physical affliction. It's always about a bed of sickness and physical affliction. Okay? Second Peter talks about the false teachers that go around teaching all these false, bringing in, seducing, and bringing in by the side of the real teaching and bringing in error. And they get to the point to where they will teach to deny the Lord and Savior that paid for their salvation. And he said their destruction will be swift. Now, it may not be immediate in the time zone, but when it happens, it'll be quick. Swift destruction. Why? Refuse to repent. The Lord leaves them to their own activity, and destruction is the normal course. That's the resulting action. Okay, you don't want to repent. Jezebel does not want to repent. Well, this is going to be the resulting action of it. Destruction is going to come. It will be swift. Affliction will come upon you and destroy you. So Jesus is releasing her to her own devices, just like he did with Pharaoh, just like he has done with many through the Bible, left them to their own devices, and the outcome is that it brought swift destruction. In Deuteronomy, he said, Today I set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life. In other words, make your choice. Jezebel, this is what I'm telling you. Make your choice. What will you do? Amen? Amen? A bed of sickness. Now, you can't tell up there, but in a study Bible, the word sickness is actually italicized. And it's actually a bed of death and hell is what it is. So he's pretty much telling her, unless you repent, you're going to wind up in hell. And as much as she taught spiritual adultery, there was also the walking into the physical adultery because spiritual error will always lead to physical error, always. When you take in spiritual error, that's what's in you, and that's what will come out in physical error. Amen. Just like, you know, and I know a lot of people hate this example, but I'm going to have to use it again until you stop hating it. But, you know, in a lot of Christian teachings, it's all about love. Love everybody. You go, oh, love. Just love, 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 you know. And, um, you know, and then somebody does something and it's not right. It could be a good friend. It could be family. It could be anybody. Somebody you work with. Anybody. And you don't want to hurt their feelings because we love them. So I'm not going to really say anything about that. And uh, I'm just going to kind of go with them. But I'm not going to be involved with what they're doing because you don't want to hurt their feelings because you've been taught love, 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 love. And you're in error. 
you're in error. And your spiritual error is creating physical error. And you're not helping that person. You're promoting their life. Are you with me? See, this is important. This is the stuff that affects our life. These are the things to where compromise can lead us down a road that is not good. Spiritual error will always lead to physical error. I have so many people tell me things about what the Word of God says, and they don't know what the Word of God says. I mean, they might be reading it, but that's not really what it says. And because of an inability to study and thinking that, well, I can just sit at home and study all by myself, you're in spiritual error. Why did God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers if all you had to do was sit at home? You know, I had pastors at church for a number of years. I started pastoring in um, 89. I started pastoring. And then we started the church in 90. And then in 93, I finally started going to ICFM meetings. We were able to get to the first meeting. And um, for those number of years, I was teaching what I believed that the Lord was giving me, you know, through revelation. Now, I could look at that as a, the ministry gift operating. But, you know... I'm out there by myself, and I'm thinking this is what's right, and I'm sharing it with the people, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I do pray that this is right. I mean, that was always my prayer all the time. So the first number of years of going to ICFM conventions, I went to a, a regional convention and an annual convention every year, a week at both of them, every year. And for the first number of years, and I forget how many number of years it was, Everything at the meetings was all confirmation. The Lord speaking to me through confirmation that, yes, what I gave you, this is what I gave you. What you're sharing is what I gave you, and this is the confirmation of it. And that's why we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's why I need to be listening to others and the ones that the Lord has set me with. And that's important. Are you with me? And... If you're sitting at home and you're studying something and you're like, well, I don't really think that that's right. And what they're teaching, I don't really think it's right. Why don't you talk to me? You know why? Because people think they're right and they don't want to hear anything else. But then again, who's the pastor? And I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. I'm honoring the gift. See, there's a gift that God has put within me. You know, that's like me going to Brother Copeland and going, well, I don't really agree with what you, well, you know, you're not right. I'm right. Now, wouldn't you think that was, what would you think about that if I told Brother Copeland he was wrong and I was right? What would you think about that? Okay, moving right along. Yeah, yeah, kids telling the dad. But that's what happens when we become a spiritual adolescent. We know everything. <laughs> Who hasn't been there? I hope you have been, because if you haven't been there, that means you haven't reached adolescence yet. So I hope you've been there. <laughs> uh, I knew a person years ago, born again, spirit-filled, in the ministry, ministering to people, and um, involved in ministry for a number of years. And they died a horrible, suffering death at the ending. I stayed in the ICU with them through the whole ordeal, uh, several hours of dealing with this. Awful. And uh, they finally went on to be with the Lord. And just before they went on, the Holy Spirit told them, the strife that you have spread through my body is now the strife that is eating up yours. And you know, through the years, we talked to them about it. We wanted to get them to repent, to turn away from what they were doing. would have nothing to do with it you know, God was giving them time, opportunity to repent. 
He even sent us. They, we had people that we knew from overseas that came over here, and they went to go talk to them. Would not listen. Would not listen. And it wasn't until the very ending, just before they died, that they finally gave themselves to what God said. And they shared that just before they died. The Holy Spirit told me, the strife I have spread throughout this body, throughout his body, is the strife that is now eating up mine. And that's what happened. The whole inside of their body got eaten up. And they died. You can't miss that window when it's time to repent. Many times, as God deals with man, the instrument of their wrongdoing becomes the instrument of their punishment. An example, a good example of that is in Proverbs, where it talks about the person that's involved in fornication and adultery and all these things, and it says in their last days that they will be something about their flesh will be eaten up. Well, the instrument of their wrongdoing becomes the very instrument of their punishment. It's called sowing and reaping. Are you with me? The bed of sin, her, her immorality, the bed of sin becomes now the bed of suffering. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. She's in a, sin, she's in a bed of pleasure, but it will become a bed of suffering. The very instrument of wrongdoing that we may want to not give up, not let go of, becomes the very instrument of our punishment. Not all suffering is a result of sin. That's not what I'm saying. In 1 Kings 21, it said of the Old Testament Jezebel, it said in 1 Kings 21, 19, in the place where the dogs licked up the, the blood of Naboth, that shall the dogs lick up your blood. 1 Kings 21, 19. So, the, again, she wanted him dead. Of course, she wanted to give Ahab his farm or whatever it was, right? And so, therefore, it was said that in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood. The very instrument of wrongdoing becomes the instrument of punishment. Amen. And this is why, you know, I know that sometimes people just don't want to hear it. I don't care. I don't want to hear that stuff. Just tell me how good I am, how good I am. God loves me and make me feel good. Well, if you get rid of the crap in your life, you would. <laughs> and that's as nice as I can say it. Listen, when we got saved, we had a lot of crap in our life. Lots of it. I mean, I was buried in it. And I thought I was doing good. But through the years, having to get rid of some, get rid of some, get rid of some. And you know where it started? I had to get rid of all my rock and roll albums. You know, remember when they made vinyl albums and the big vinyl covers and stuff? And I had to get rid of all of them. Then I had to give away my electric guitar and give away all my music instruments and equipment, give away my little sound recording studio, give away my, had to get, get, get rid of my car, get rid of all kinds of stuff. Everything that had a hold on me, I had to get rid of it. I didn't get rid of you. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> so, you know, but little by little, just having to get things out of my life. Little by little, having to get, you know, learn to be kind. That was a learning process for me. You know, fruit of the Spirit, that was not my favorite verses. Love, joy, peace, endurance, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Dear Jesus, 
and having to work on it and meditate on it and get it in my heart. The fruit of the spirit is if this is the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of my spirit. This is who I am. This is the character that's in me. I'm born again. I have this character now. This is how I'm supposed to act. Meditate, 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 confess it, speak it over, over, over. Decision, 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 decision. Over and over again. And the less you meditate on it, the more you make the wrong decisions. Because it's not in you. Just knowing the word isn't enough. It's got to be in you. If it's not in you, it's not you. The word is designed to be. Jesus was the word that was made flesh. You are flesh being made the word. If you'll take in the word and get it in you to where it's in your heart, in your mouth and in your decisions, in your heart, in your mouth, in your decisions, change, 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 change. People don't like change. Something's wrong with you. You've made so many good changes in your life, changes that you've looked forward to, changes that have worked out so well for you. But yet you still want to kick against the pricks when it comes to change. And yet all God's trying to do is bless you. He just say, move the crap out of the way so I can get my blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Jesus is laying out the correction for those that choose to walk astray from him. But yet there is promise for those who would overcome and woe to those who refuse, not refuse, but to those who compromise even in small things. So promise for overcomers, but woe to those that will continue to compromise, even in small things, because small things lead to big things. Catch the little foxes and you don't have to deal with the wolves. Deal with the little imp in your life before the big boys are set loose on you. Amen. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word today. I know these things are not always easy to hear or easy to take in any more than it was back in the day when you said it the first time. But Lord, we know that without your word, we will certainly, definitely, and undoubtedly go astray for lack of knowledge, for without a vision that will be without restraint without your word and that's all your word wants to do is restrain us not to captivate us or to keep us in bondage but it's there to restrain us from walking outside of the boundaries of protection you're trying to keep us in a place to where we're protected we can be watched over and taken care of holy spirit help us help us to receive these words to take them to heart, to allow them to affect us in our life. Strengthen us, Lord, that we'll rise up with the courage that we need to take hold of the truth of your word so that we can walk in the light of it and the light will dispel the darkness and all the things that the enemy is trying to bring against us, that light will just push it away. So, Father, help us. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit. For this is part of the unveiling of your unlimited riches, of your grace, and of your glory. And that's what we want to step into more and more. The riches of your glory and your grace. And it's right on the other side of compromise. So, Father, I thank you. I bless you, I honor you, I praise you, I give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, God's a good God. He always has our best interest in mind. You know, there's no part of his word to where we say, oh, I don't want to hear that because, you know, but everything is designed to be profitable. It's profitable. Good for teaching and training, discipline. Thank you, Jesus. Helps us to grow, to develop and partake more and more of the life, the blessing and all that God has for us. Amen. 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 Father, I thank you. Thank you again for your word. Father, we receive it into our heart. That Holy Spirit, bring it up again on the inside of us. Father, I speak against all the things that the enemy would try to bring to steal the word from them. I speak against the locusts that would try to eat up the harvest. But Father, it will produce fruit. Your word is designed that if we keep it in the soil, it will produce fruit. It may come to us sometimes in the form of a discipline, and it's sorrowful for a moment. But it will produce. We'll keep it in the soil, and it will produce the peaceable fruits of righteousness that it will produce after its own kind. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we come before you with our giving, and we thank you that we can sow our seed. And I thank you, Father, that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease, and that you will supply and multiply back to us bread for food, seed to sow, and increase the harvest that comes from our righteous acts of giving. We thank you and bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. If you joined us on live stream, thanks for being with us tonight. And I'm sure glad that uh, we were able to join together. And as I said, some, to some of these things that Jesus speaks is not always um, pleasant. And sometimes it does seem to be sorrowful. But it will always produce fruit in our life, the fruit of the life of God within us. And that's really what we want. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. Thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. And uh, it's always a privilege to stand with you and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen.